Am I with you? All right. Good morning, yes? If you don't know me, Mike just told you who I was, Craig Fisher. If you do know me, it's, that's still my name. Um, we have been belongers here, my wife and I, belongers slash members for about 20 years. In 2016, we went off to Latin America to serve as missionaries in Nicaragua. Um, You've heard a little bit of our story because I know we've, we've actually watched online from Nicaragua as you prayed for us um, this summer with the uh, socio-political crisis, as we called it, um, and the violence that was going on in Nicaragua. But uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, now, the story I'm going to tell, I could tell you that it's a story that I experienced and I saw in Nicaragua, um, but it, it's just a story. Um, it's a story about a farmhand who worked for uh, a couple, um, the farm owners. Um, for many years, he was a faithful, good, faithful servant. Um, and as the couple got older, though, they couldn't tend to the regular chores and upkeep of the farm like they, like they did when they were younger. The paint was chipping. Uh, the roof on the farmhouse was missing some, some shingles and needed to re be replaced. Uh, the gravel road that led up to the farm was uh, full of potholes. The fence was broken, and some of the slats were missing or loose. Um, and as the farmhand went about his business, going off to the farm to, to tend to the cows, um, he just thought, what's that to me? It's, it's, not, it's not my farm. It's, it's their responsibility. It's always been their responsibility. Um, but one night, the farmer and his wife invited the farmhand to, to dinner to tell him how much they appreciated his years of service. Uh, and because they didn't have any children uh, to give the farm to, they wanted to pass the farm down to him. Uh, and so they, they wrote up the will that way. And so all of a sudden, he was the heir to the farm. The next day, he came, and he noticed that paint chipping. And he felt those potholes as he drove up. And over time, he replaced the roof on that house and fixed the fences. The difference, of course, was that now he was the heir. The inheritance was going to be his. And so he set his mind on the farm a little bit differently than he had the day before. Right? Mark talked last week about setting our minds on the spirit and that the spirit is life and peace. Paul goes on in the next few verses in Romans 8, 14 to 17 about some specific ways in which the Holy Spirit helped Christians experience that life uh, as co-heirs with Christ, like that farmhand all of a sudden was an heir to the farm. Romans 8, 14 to 17. I'm going to pray before we read. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. We pray for your spirit of truth to be here. We pray for my words to be burned away and forgotten into memory, um, but your words to stand. Amen. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, 
in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we're just kind of going to go through this relatively shortly. We have the Lord's Supper to share this morning, which we're looking forward to. Um, And just a few points, some what's and some how's. Uh, Out of verse 14, we see that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the Spirit leads his children. Um, Just thinking about, okay, how how does he lead us? Now, there's there's a lot of ways that the Spirit leads us. I'm just going to hit on a couple things, but this is by no means uh, the the total list of the ministries and roles of the Holy Spirit. Um, But if we scroll back up on your phones to verse 11 in Romans that we read last week, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. The spirit lives in believers. He dwells in us. Um, In John 14, uh, that's sort of the beginning of Jesus' farewell message to his disciples. And he tells them, he kind of gives them a heads up as to what to expect. And he mentions this other helper, this Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, and 16 says, If you love me, says Jesus to his disciples, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells in you and you and will be with you. So the Spirit dwells in us. He, he lives in believers. And what does he do while he's there? Jesus goes on to talk about in that same chapter, John 14, verses 25 and 26. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still here. So while you still see me and you can see how I do life, I'm telling you these things. But when I'm gone, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is a helper who dwells in us. He is a helper with inside access. Um, I mentioned that uh, that we've been here for for about 20 years, and we went off to, to Costa Rica. Um, we went off to well, we went off to Costa Rica first for a year for language school for for learning Spanish, um, and then we had thought that we would go off to Nicaragua and serve in Nicaragua for a number of years before ever coming back here again. We had no intentions of coming back soon, but in probably about April, I, I bought some plane tickets for June for three weeks. Uh, we had some business to take care of. Our son is turning 18. He'll be going to college. We had some things that we needed to set in order for him to go to school. Um, so we came back and planned on a three-week vacation, touch base, and then head on back to Nicaragua. Our ministry there, our first year, was adventurous. Um, and I, was just, I felt like I was just getting started with the ministry that would take us the next few years. Um, so we came back in June, and when we came back, our organization, ABWE, put us on official evacuation status. Now, I know you guys had, had prayed for us, 
and heard a little bit about some of the turmoil that was going down in Nicaragua. Um, there still is trouble down there. It has settled down to some degree. There isn't quite the violence in the streets like there was. Um, but there was good reason that ABWE put us on evacuation status and kept us out of the country. Um, but we are officially cleared to go back at this point, and most of our teammates have gone back. Uh, most of them just went back in January, although we've been cleared to go back since October. We are still here, obviously I'm still here, um, because we are staying on uh, medical furlough while my wife waits, my wife Cassandra, waits for a kidney transplant. Now that's been quite a process, it's been a long process, um, but one of, uh, we've learned a lot. Um, we do have a, a donor, we're blessed to have a donor who has gone through all of the tests that she had to go through. Um, so we're waiting specifically with eager patience for two things. We're waiting for Cassandra to be healthy enough to have the surgery, and we're waiting for the technically official word from our donor that she is all clear. Um, both Cassandra and the donor have gone through and done everything that they need to do. Uh, Cassandra's, yeah, doing everything that she can to be ready and healthy. Um, she's actually had a lab drawn on Friday, and we haven't gotten the results back from that lab yet, but we hope to receive them on Monday and that it's good news and that her levels are at the point that they need to be. If not, then, then at least to hope that they're moving well in the right direction. The other thing we're waiting for is official word that the donor has been given the thumbs up. The, the donor transplant team was supposed to have met on Friday. So Cassandra had her lab drawn on Friday, the transplant team met on Friday, and we hope to hear good news from both of them tomorrow. So it's really good timing that I can continue to use this illustration in this message. Um, if I had heard yesterday, then you know, I would have had to change my whole story. <laughs> That would have been terrible. Um, now, the fact is that knowledge, those labs have been drawn, the decision has been made, we think. And so that knowledge is out there in the universe. It exists out there in space somewhere. We just don't know what it is. We haven't been told, it hasn't been revealed to us yet. Paul talks about that in terms of the gospel. He says it's out there for everyone to know and he preached it plainly. He told the Corinthians, I preached as plainly and as frankly as I could to you. And if you still don't get it, it's because there is a veil over your eyes and over your heart. Second Corinthians is when he tells them that. Uh, Second Corinthians 2, 3, 14 to 18 says, but their minds, now there he's talking about the, the Jews, the Israelites, but he's talking to the Corinthians. Okay, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Now, that is certainly, that's a mouthful and chocked full of 
different things that can be at least one other sermon. Um, but just to move on and make three points from it and hopefully wrap it up and tie it back in, these verses tell us that God's revelation isn't received as long as your hearts are veiled. Two, whenever you turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away. And three, unveiled hearts come with freedom. Freedom to set your mind on things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. And by doing so, we're transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's good stuff. That's cool. This, the Holy Spirit leads us as the Spirit of truth as he dwells in us. And he liberates us as he leads us. Point two, he liberates us from fear. Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Okay, and again, scrolling back up to a couple weeks ago, Romans 8, 2. It should be on the same page in your Bible or scroll up on your phone. If you'd like. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Christ brings freedom, his amazing grace. How does he do that? Just continuing right on to the rest of verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Um, while we were in Costa Rica, our, our boys, of course, learned Spanish right along with us. And uh, one day, Seth especially, came home uh, very excited and calling me papa. Uh, I guess he obviously had just learned that word. Um, I tried to make it stick. I kind of loved it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, not only was I excited that he was learning Spanish, um, but I, I kind of got a thrill, I'll admit, out of being called papa. Um, now, they call me dad, but that's, I don't know, it just had a different ring to it. Um, it's a it's a term of like reliance, right? A term of endearment. It's a term of, it's a, it's a love term to be called that. And I, I was excited to be called that. And that's what this Abba Father is. When we are given the spirit of adoption as sons, then we can call out daddy on father and papa if you, if you want. Um, Nate, I mentioned, is he's almost 18 years old. He's our firstborn son. Um, he's actually our, our only born son. Um, he is our biological son. He was born here in Philadelphia in Pennsylvania Hospital. Um, Tommy and Seth are adopted. They were born in Guatemala as infants or toddlers. Um, but legally, they have full rights, privileges, responsibilities, and my expectations as their father, okay? Legally, they are 100% my children. But don't kid yourselves, those of you who might know, foster children and adopted children have some special challenges. They deal with insecurities that most of us wouldn't have to. Insecurities of being sent back. Um, just fears of not being the same, of not fitting in. 
Um, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of tears, some breakthroughs, some setbacks. It takes a lot of love. But you can get through those problems, those sufferings, those periods of insecurity. Um, verse 16 says that the spirit and our spirit bear witness together. In time, as adopted children, you get through those times of insecurity. If you stick with it, he will stick with you. And eventually, with Tommy and Seth, for example, both my spirit and their spirit bear witness together that they are my children. And now at, at no point do Tommy, Seth, or Nate doubt. Even if we're separated, we're apart, even if we're not getting along very well. Okay, there is no question that they are my children and I'm their father. Jesus prom promises to be that same type of father, okay, when he gives us that spirit of adoption as sons. There's a comic strip that I like to read. I enjoy it when it comes across my, my feed. Um, it's put out by Radio Free Babylon. I don't really know what they're about necessarily. I just enjoy their comic strip, but it's called Coffee with Jesus. Um, it's always four panels, and there's about four, besides Jesus, there's about four different characters, Carl and Lisa. Satan is one of them. Um, he always calls him the boy king. Um, in one I read recently, the character's name is, is Lisa. Uh, and in the first panel, Lisa says, Jesus, I've disappointed you. You're mad at me, I can tell. And Jesus says, wait, time out. Hold on, Lisa. Let's switch roles here. And if your child came to you and said, Mom, I've disappointed you, what would you say? And in the third panel, Lisa says, hmm, well, I suppose I would say, it makes me sad when you disappoint me. But I'm not mad at you. Try again and come back to me sooner the next time. And in the fourth panel, which is always the zinger, Jesus is just simply there saying, hi, here I am. Okay, I'm, I'm here, and I'm saying that same thing. Just come to me sooner next time, like a father. That's love. That's what Jesus promises to do, and that's family. So we're in the family. We're adopted as sons and daughters. Okay? Ladies, I know a lot of men are on the retreat. Don't feel left out. You are daughters. He affirms our place. This is our third point out of verses 16 and 17. He affirms our place in his family by a pat on the head. He does not. He affirms our place through suffering. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, why does God allow suffering in the lives of his children is sort of a, it's an obvious question, it's an expected question, and maybe an honest one, but you don't see, no, you don't see tranquility borne out in the lives of believers in the Bible. Okay? There are, probably aren't many stories about that. My question, my answer to that question would be a question of why shouldn't he allow suffering in the lives of his believers? I, to be honest with you, I allow suffering in the lives of my children. Some of it's under my control, some of it's not. 
Some of their suffering I could relieve, right, by buying them a second Xbox. Okay? Some of their suffering I cannot relieve. Okay? I cannot keep their mother out of the hospital. That's not up to me. Okay? Now, poster child in the Bible for suffering. Who's that? Job. Right. It's not the, my wife actually said Jesus, which is also a correct answer. Okay? But Job. Right. Job is, is poster child for suffering in the Bible. God actually bragged about how righteous Job was. So to think that you can be righteous enough not to deserve suffering, okay, it's just not biblical. God bragged to Satan about Job. He said, there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then what happens next? We know mayhem, like the Allstate commercial. Okay, but at the hand of Satan, mayhem happened to, to Job. Okay. All in one day, messengers came to Job, one after the other, that your working animals, your donkeys and your oxen, have been stolen and all the servants killed. Your sheep and their servants were killed by fire of God that fell from heaven. The camels stolen and the servants killed. And finally, all your children who were gathered for a meal together, hanging out, watching the Super Bowl, okay, wind came blew the house down, all of your children are dead. That's a pretty bad day. That probably is a day that like none of us have ever had. I don't, I'm not sure how many of you own camels. All right, a little bit later, boils covered Job's skin. Now, I don't know if that's like a stress thing or just a curse. I can imagine it being just be like just a stress thing. It wasn't. Satan came, put boils like cancerous, just garbage all over his skin, so much though so he broke pottery and he's scraping it off with broken shards of pottery. Okay, he can't stand it. Now the last thing that Job has to suffer is his friends all telling him, hey, you must have done something wrong. But in between that, the next thing that Job, after the boils, okay, again this is risky with, there's a little bit higher ratio of women here, the next thing that Job has to suffer is his wife. His wife. Just curse God and die already. She's a Northeast woman. Okay? Just curse God and die. Okay? And his response is, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says different is selling something. Anybody know who said that? Life is pain, highness. Anyone who says different is selling something. Wesley. Okay? The Dread Pirate Roberts from the Princess Bride, okay? Job tells his wife, you are talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? Do I deserve any less? Here's another one. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Who said that one? Sunday school answer. Jesus, okay? Jesus said, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So while we have a promise of freedom, it's not, a pre it's not freedom from suffering. But there is a promise that God will be with his children in their suffering. 
Okay? That's why he encourages us to suffer with him. Isaiah 43, 1-7 is, is a great fatherly passage. Um, tells us a lot about who we are and a lot about God's character. Okay, starting right in verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Now, I, I love, well, not only, obviously, it does not say if you pass through fire and if you pass through the rivers. It says when. Okay? But he also promises that I will be with you. But I, I love the end. Because you, my children, are precious to me. You are honored in my sight. And just flat out say, I, I don't know too many other places in the Bible where it just flat out says, I love you. There's lots of love there, but just to say in those three words, I love you, to his children. God's children are precious to him, and he will be with them in their trials. Um, now it's, it is sometimes difficult to imagine a daddy who thinks his children are precious. Some of us just, um, I had a loving father. I don't want to put that out there. But some of us had fathers that weren't real, weren't especially loving. And it it's, may not be loving at all if we even had a father. Okay. Um, I'm not especially a lovey-dovey guy. I'm not touchy-feely with my children, although they do know that I love them and, and I love them to death. Um, a current conversation actually in our house is, who is dad's favorite? Um, and it's a tricky question. There's two sides to that. Um, it's kind of funny because all three of them think that another one is my favorite. Uh, the opposite side of that coin, which gives me pause, is that not one of them thinks that they are my favorite. That stings a little bit. That makes me pause and, and think about that it's, it's cringy, actually, as Tommy might say. I hope I'm using that word right. Now, when they were younger, um, back in the old neighborhood before we moved to Nicaragua, um, there was a neighborhood boy named Dylan who used to hang around the house. Um, like any other neighborhood boy, not like you might have hung around your friends' houses. He wasn't around all the time, but he was around enough that he kind of learned our ways. He did life with us to a degree, as Mark might say. Um, he respected the house rules. Um, and he heeded my instructions, um, again, as much as any kid would be respectful. Um, but if they're playing outside in the yard, and I come out with breaks to clean up the leaves, if I come out with chores to do, where would you go if you were Dylan? I'm going home. I'm out of here. I don't need to suffer with you. I don't need to do this work. I'm out of here. I, I'm not your son. My own dad gives me chores. I'm out of here, right? Um, so he didn't have to suffer with us. 
And on the occasion where he did break the rules, he had a little bit of a mouth on him. Okay? He didn't receive my discipline because he's not my son. He's not entitled to my discipline. My discipline's done out of love. And, I mean, as much as I love Dylan as a neighborhood kid, he's not my son. He's not entitled to my discipline, and he's not entitled to suffer with us. And there was a time where I was challenged by that thought. And some of you may be here, and you're like Dylan. You come to church, you hang around. You may even be influenced by the Christians around you. Okay? But that doesn't make you God's children. If you're not suffering with him, then that's a fair question. If you want the freedom that the Spirit brings and the privilege of calling God Daddy and crying out to him when you need him, you have to turn and ask him. That's your responsibility. 2 Corinthians, I'll read it again. I emphasized it the first time. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Turn to the Lord. But there comes with a warning because he's asking you to suffer with him. But he's also willing to suffer with you. Okay, When you walk through the fire, he will be with you because you are precious to him and he loves you. Now, I'm not necessarily an overachiever, so I only have one application this morning. And that application comes right from the end of verse 17. And that is to thank God for your suffering. For by it we are affirmed into his family, if we indeed suffer with him. If indeed you share in his sufferings, in order that you may also share in his glory. So let's thank God for our suffering, if indeed we do suffer with him. Um, now, I'm going to pray, close. Hopefully there are some men here to help us with the Lord's Supper. I see no one moving. This is intimidating. There's one. All right. Okay, so we are going to enjoy... I don't know if enjoy is the right word. Okay? We are going to share in communion. Because by sharing in communion, we are literally memorializing okay, and celebrating the suffering of Jesus Christ. Because by his obedience and his suffering, he was perfected and glorified. And by sharing in his suffering, we can also be perfected and glorified. That's what this is about. So if you guys would join up here. Let me pray while they come up. Spirit of truth, help us to know deep in our hearts and bear witness with your spirit that we are your children. That when we do fear and have those doubts and insecurities, that you will be with us. Take us through those times with love and grace, with your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for our suffering. Thank you for the opportunity to suffer with you and the comfort that that brings. Amen.